You're listening to the Psalms for Sojourners podcast, in which we look at the Psalms as prayers for God's people on every occasion. We hope it's a blessing to you. Hi, and thanks for listening to Psalms for Sojourners. I'm Cole Kirby, a pastor at Sojourn Montrose and the host of this podcast. In this week's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Nick Lipscomb, who's a deacon and parish leader here at Sojourn Montrose, and he also happens to be my best friend. And in our conversation, we talked about a lot of things, but mainly we talked about Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, we talked about how we can learn to worship from the stars and the heavenly bodies. And we also talked about how Psalm 19 gives us a helpful perspective on who we are before Almighty God and why that matters as we approach Him in the world around us. I found it to be a blessing, and I hope you do too. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, I'm here with Nick Lipscomb, uh, a parish leader at Sojourn Montrose. And Nick, before we get started, just wanted to give our listeners at home an opportunity to hear a little bit about who you are and your involvement at Sojourn. All right, everybody. Like Cole said, my name is Nick Lipscomb, and I have been with Sojourn since the beginning. I joined Sojourn Heights in 2012, and shortly after that, Marshall asked if I would help him plant Sojourn Montrose, and I agreed. And so in the last, I guess now, seven years, things have been uh, really, really great and really, really exciting, and I and my wife, Tate, are deacons here at Sojourn, and we lead the Langford Market Parish, and I lead worship um, here and there on Sundays, and we have a baby on the way, and we're really excited about that in December. We don't know his name yet, but we do know he's a boy, so we're looking forward to that. And prior to all this, Chelsea, now Jones, Chelsea Kimball at the time, led Southside Parish back in the early days in that 2013 phase of Sojourn. So Sojourn has been um, in all of my adult life post-college, and it has been something that has been near and dear to my heart, and I look forward to continuing um, with Tate to see this church grow. Yeah, thanks. And I hope that somebody uh, just learned at home listening to a podcast that y'all are with child and are <laughs> celebrating that um, maybe while they're driving or doing the dishes or whatever it is that people do uh, while they listen to podcasts. Um, but yeah, for the listeners at home, uh, Nick and I have been friends, uh, best of friends uh, since uh, college where uh, we went to the University of Texas at Austin. Hook them. Um, and so, uh, I actually would not be in Houston or at Sojourn were it not for Nick graduating before me and being on the core team at Sojourn Montrose and inviting me, uh, to come down in the fall of 2013, I believe for his deacon ordination. Um, and, and so then I, I stayed with Nick who was living at the time with Marshall and Nicole Dallas and fell in love with the city and the neighborhood and decided that weekend that I was going to move to Houston uh, in January uh, after I graduated. And so here we are seven years later. Um, and Nick, it's good to have you on the podcast. Um, before we jump into the psalm that we're going to talk specifically about today, just wanted to ask, um, what role do the psalms play in your daily life as a Christian? Yeah, that's a great question, and I was really excited whenever Cole had this idea to talk through the Psalms and to do this podcast because the Psalms are in many ways everything. I am 
not self-proclaimed, but I'm told that I am definitely a four on the Enneagram scale. And so what that usually means to people is that I'm highly emotional. And what I like to think is that I'm just very in tune with my emotions. But what is great about the Psalms is that I think Marshall mentioned the last week or someone has in the past in any of our surgeon circles, but the Psalms are great because they validate every um, spectrum of emotion. You get anger, you get sadness, you get happiness, you get joy, you get languor, you get, um, you, you really get everything that you see, any human emotion you see in the Psalms. And what that tells me is that not every emotion is right because there's definitely Psalms of confession and there's Psalms in which um, people are repenting. But what God is telling me in the Psalms is that I at least validate all the emotions that you have and I will perfect them and use them to glorify me more. And so as, yes, an emotional person, I go to the Psalms daily and have for many years. Um, It's actually been, not only is it part of the Revised Common Lectionary to always have a Psalm on every single day, it's something that I have just enjoyed doing since I got into regular devotional study um, every day with the Bible. I tried to read at least one Psalm. Because, depending on the day, I could feel exactly like David felt, or I could feel exactly like um, one of the priests that was writing the psalm felt. Um, Or I could not at all, but at least I would think about the fact that, wow, somebody's probably feeling that way, or maybe I should feel that way, and my heart is hard right now. And so I need to check the status of my own heart and dive into whatever that means. And the other thing that's great about the Psalms too, and I think for the, the common, like any any person who's listening, like sometimes you feel nothing when you read a Psalm. Sometimes you feel like you don't understand it, you don't get it, you have no idea what it's saying, and it meant absolutely nothing to you. And that is also okay, because that is an emotion that God says is 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 real. That there, I'm sure even times that Jesus, when he walked this earth as a human, looked out and said, I, I just don't, I don't feel what's happening today. I'm still the son of God and I'm still good and I'm still perfect, but I can feel emotionless and that still be an emotion. And so I think that that is really good about the Psalms. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really good to hear. Um, and it's helpful. Um, but you know, you're talking a lot about a relationship to the Psalms primarily as they relate to Uh, validating and informing you on how to view the things that you're experiencing, which I think is a huge purpose of the Psalms. But today you wanted to come talk about Psalm 19. uh, And and really because you feel like also, I think there's a lot that we can learn from the Psalms about uh, the way that the world works and who God is and who we ought to be in light of that. Uh, And so before we jump into Psalm 19, just wanted to ask that you would read that for us. Yeah, that's a great leading because that's exactly what Psalm 19 is about, is perceiving perceiving the created world in a way in which we can actually understand. So, yes, before I start, this is not a biblical defense for astrology. It is nothing like that. It is simply just talking about the cosmos and the planets and the stars and all those great things. So, hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 19, for the choir director, a psalm of David. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Equip me of hidden faults, and keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, well, thanks for, for reading that. And uh, I guess just to kick off our discussion on Psalm 19, uh, for those listening at home, um, just wondering if you would expand a little bit on why you're interested in this psalm particularly. So yes, I am by no means an amateur astronomer. I haven't really looked in a telescope any, but I do love thinking about the stars and the planets and for those of you who know me, I am very into C.S. Lewis's um, love of cosmology, especially medieval cosmology. And don't worry, I'm not going to bore you with all those things. Um, you can ask me about it some other time if you want to know about all those particular details. But in those learnings and in those settings, I essentially just come to love this psalm that talks about the planets and it talks about the stars and the cosmos and the heavens and all these great grand things that are honestly really hard to comprehend. Yeah, that's helpful because at the beginning of the psalm, there's all this language about the heavens and the sky and the expanse and even down to the sun specifically. Um, and in our conversation prior to recording, you you talked about this psalm in a way that that made me think that that you're convinced we're supposed to learn something from the cosmos in, in this psalm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So right off the bat, we see that, like we said in the very beginning, the psalm is addressed to the choir director. So this ultimately was a song that was written such that a congregation could recite it together and worship together. And I think that that's important, one, because I initially when reading that, I feel like it's almost too grand and too, or it's too grand on one end and too intimate on the back end at the end of the psalm to really be sung as a group of people but I think that God's word is good and perfect and so therefore we should take direction from these notes and say that yeah this is probably something that we should be singing together so with that in mind I wanted to say that the first few lines and specifically for this uh, I'm, I read from the NASB if anyone cared um and I think it's important because it says the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Which for those who are uh, sojourners and are used to reading from the ESV, the ESV says the heavens declare the glory of God. And Nick is pointing out the difference between saying the heavens declare and the heavens are telling. Is that right? Yes. And I think that there's a, there's an there's an active purpose in that use of the word telling versus just declaring or just saying something like this is an this is an active thing set in motion which as we know now 
the planets and the stars are constantly in motion. They're constantly revolving and moving in some sort of um, preordained and predetermined way that, yes, governed by the laws of science, but God created that science. And so what we say from that, or at least what I have heard other people say, is that this is the cosmic dance that God orchestrates and sets in motion. And so if the heavens, if the planets are doing this great celestial dance for God, then I think that if we are to look on them, we are to emulate them. And again, because this is a psalm meant for people to be sung um, as a congregation, the question is, how are we to emulate the planets and the cosmos in a way that is meaningful or a way in which is worshipful? And I think that what at least initially sets or sticks out to me is that idea that God has set in motion these particular planets and these particular stars to move in a, a very intricate way in which like many smarter people than I have have calculated their trajectories and made calculations, all those things, and have used math and science to, to show that they move in this way. But what we do, regardless of how you feel about that or want to think about it, we know that they move in one voice. They move in one uh, joined connection that is constantly revolving around something at least in the beginning of the psalm, we, we know that there is a something, a capital S something that in which they are dancing to. And so that's our first take, is that we as a people are together together and to revolve around something and to worship something in a way that is edifying to us, but also glorifying to the something. And as Christians, we know that that is God. But what the psalmist is, or David, I guess in this case, is telling us is that even if you don't know anything about that, you can look up at the sky in the middle of the night and see things moving and say, wow, there's, there's some, something is setting this in motion and somebody is making this happen in a way that is... I don't know. I don't even know what word to use. And I think that that, is, that for myself is meaningful because it's, it's hard to look up at the sky and have any sort of thought that is comprehensive of what's happening. Yeah, I, I think that... So... Anna, my wife, and I this past week um, spent some time in the Texas Hill Country and were able to see the stars in a way that you absolutely cannot living in the Montrose in Houston. Um, and so, and so you look up and you see all of these little pinpricks of light in the the black or midnight dome. Um, and in some respect, they all seem so disparate from one another. Like, you know that they're light years away from each other and that they're made up of different elements and, and all these things. And all you need to do is, like, blow off an astronomy class to learn that. Um, but at the same time, you look up and they're one complete body. You know, they're a piece of artwork that are doing something together. Yeah, it's very cohesive. And and I think that what you're trying to say is that that the cosmos in a sense give us an identity as God's people where we might be all different and even disparate globally um, and in our current circumstances, but our, we have this united job of joining in the dance of bringing glory to God in yeah, all that we do. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> all right. Um, Many yeah. of you might have heard 
the the hymn "This Is My Father's World," and I just wanted to point that out because I think it's sometimes we miss lyrics, and this one's fun to me. And the first stanza of "This Is My Father's World" is, "This is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres." And that is directly alluding to the spheres, the planets. It's the the person who wrote that song is exactly talking about the fact that there is music that's coming down from the heavens, from the cosmos, that as we will talk about in this psalm, we may not audibly hear, but we can see and perceive that that's what's happening. And so going back to what you're saying with standing out in the hill country and looking at all this grand, beautiful picture and all these things, what, what did you, what, how big did you feel? I felt infinitely small. Yes, and I think that that is an appropriate response to looking at the stars and looking at the grandeur of it is that when we look at the cosmos, that reflects the infinity, the vastness, the enormity of the God that created them. It's far off, and it's mysterious, and it's hard to understand in in any sort of tangible way except for us astronomers out there. Um, but it is beautiful. Like you said that exactly. You said it was a beautiful canvas in which there was a painting, and I think that that is an appropriate response is to look at it and say, wow, I'm really, really small compared to this created thing that is the heavens. Yeah, and, and you mentioned earlier, and, and we can just tough, touch on it briefly. Um, you mentioned in the the hymn, This Is My Father's House, how the singer or the author of that hymn talks about hearing the music of the spheres in his listening ear. But in verse 3, which is where he's drawing from, is... It says there is no speech, nor are there any words whose voice is not heard. And so what the psalmist is saying and what the hymn writer is saying is is there is music to the cosmos, even though they have no voice. Like, even though we cannot hear them truly with our ears, they do not actually sing a song. But we all we have to do is look to hear the music and, and to experience this beautiful orchestra that is happening in God's creation. Yeah, that's exactly right. That that idea that their voice is not even heard is is how how can a singer not be heard or how can someone who's playing a beautiful piece of music not like unless of course in the world of iPods and stuff you have the music turned down, but if you're if you're seeing an acoustic instrument played, you also are hearing an acoustic instrument played and unless you can't hear physically. But that's really kind of what the psalmist is saying is that many of us don't actually hear or perceive or know or or take in this music of the spheres because our hearts are are turned down or our perception is turned down because we're not looking out and looking and seeing these things. But the psalmist is saying, look up, it's there. You will be able to hear it because that is a voice that is not going to be ignored in all of creation. Yeah, and that, that kind of even reminds me of Romans 1, where Paul talks about just the inability to uh, escape or not perceive God's glory and power in his invisible attributes, which he's made visible in creation. But then as the psalm moves on, what we see is David slowly zooming in, right? Like he starts with this big view of the cosmos and the heavens that they're telling us this story. They're singing us this song. And then it, it in verse four, he begins this transition where he, he talks about the heavens having their voice go out through all the earth. Um, and their words to the end of the 
the world and then he begins to focus on the sun specifically this the item in the cosmos which specifically pertains the star which specifically pertains to us on earth and it says in them he has set a tent for the sun meaning god has set a tent for the sun in in the midst of the cosmos there is the sun and and he goes on to liken the sun to a bridegroom leaving his chamber like a strong man running his course with joy rising from the end of the heavens and ending its circuit in the other end of the heavens like alpha and omega exactly yeah yeah and and saying there is nothing hidden from his heat or from its heat um and so talk to me a little bit about this focusing in on the sun and and what you perceive from that yeah it's like a csi episode right where you magnify times 10 and then magnify times 20 and then magnify times a thousand and then you see the thing there that means something no actually what we have here is a psalmist that can walk outside in the day so instead of looking at night now you walk outside in the day and texas in june you immediately feel the effects of the sun you know that it's out there it's blinding your eyes it's causing you to get a sunburn you're starting to perspire you can have no other response to the sun other than a physical reaction that in many ways would bring you to your knees um especially maybe in july maybe not in june but in july at least in texas like it could truly bring you to your knees and cause you to thirst and hunger and want something more right that is what the sun does but even then like that that verse at the end of the end of verse six there's nothing hidden from its heat like that I love the idea of it um, seeking out and the fact that like even hiding under a rock like eventually that will be uprooted and turned over and like those things will be exposed and what we also know about the sun at least in the created order is that we wouldn't exist without it like plants could not grow and so the animals couldn't eat them and then we couldn't eat the animals and the plants and survive and so this the whole earth revolves well, the earth <laughs> truly actually literally revolve unless you're a flat earther or something and like i don't know we're not going to get into that either but the earth revolves around the sun and it's just like it is has sustained life from it and if you were to hide try to hide yourself from the sun although you may be temporarily sheltered from that heat or temporarily comforted by the fact that you're not perspiring anymore if you truly decided to remove yourself from that eventually you would die um or at least a plant would, or another animal would. And that's pretty striking to me in this psalm too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's this way in which the the sun is set apart from the other cosmic bodies, which, you know, earlier we talked about how in some way we're to learn as God's people from the cosmos, that we are this this singular body with a singular objective yet were many but among the cosmos in this psalm there is the sun that is set apart Um, and there's language in the psalm that i think is prophetic that that seems to be pointing to the person of jesus where we're supposed to understand the sun s-o-n as david's son s-u-n in psalm 19 where we're Christ is the true bridegroom who has come out of his chamber to receive his bride. And he's the true strong man who has run the course in our stead. And, and that he is the true light and judge from whom no darkness is hidden and, and from whom no, no sin is left uncovered. Like nothing is hidden from his heat, from his glory, from his light. 
Um, and so I, I see this metaphor of the cosmos with the sun being particularly honed in on as set apart and different and having its effect on the created order in a different way than the rest of the cosmic bodies do. Do you see that same sort of pattern here? Yeah, I definitely. And that is keeping in, in theme with the zooming in, right? Like in asking all those questions, like what, so a star, a billion, what is a star a billion miles away doing right now? It's burning. It's shining maybe, yeah. but you don't know. Well, you know what that star's doing, Yeah. <laughs> but do you know what the sun's doing? Yeah. Yeah. So you have in some way, like at the beginning again of this Psalm, you see a very intangible, incomprehensible grandness and vastness that's hard to understand and is very zoomed out. And it's, so we'll use the word unfamiliar. It's perceivable, but it's unfamiliar. You don't know it intimately. But then you come in and you see this now, as we've learned through many, many years of study, the sun, which is similar to all those things, but different, as you're saying, because it's now familiar. Like you, you can ask any child what the sun is and they will say, oh yeah, it's that big yellow hot thing that comes out in the middle of the day. Like a, the person, a, a kid will get excited about the sun and could see the stars, but they would they, they could perceive and start pointing out what the sun actually does in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, and so, and so, so in our conversation preceding recording this, when we decided that this would be the psalm to focus on, you kind of made that connection between this zooming in from the cosmos to the sun to what happens in the second half of the psalm. And so you want to talk about that, just kind of give us a, a, a quick view of what's going on there in the second half of the psalm. Yeah, so in, in the same way that, like, how are we as earthly people able to comprehend grand celestial beings? How are we as, in many ways, spiritual babies able to comprehend things like the law of the Lord or the testimony of the Lord or the precepts or the commandment or the fear or the judgments? Like, these are, these are the, this is the language that's used in verses 7 through 9. And with each example, David says, well, the law of the Lord is perfect. Do you know what perfect is? Well, I don't know if I know perfectly what perfect is, but I can perceive it. I can start to see that, like, this is imperfect and this is perfect. This is an imperfect piece of food or piece of work, and this is a perfect piece of food or piece of work. And we see that then that does, like, once I see the difference between what is imperfect and perfect, I can decide that I want the perfect and I am restored. I, like, I take something from that perfection and am made better because of it. Or the testimony. What is that? The testimony of the Lord. Like, that's something that is even hard to comprehend as a, someone who's been a Christian for a long time. But what does it say? It's sure. And it says it makes wise the simple. And so then now you get this flip of, I don't have to be wise to understand the testimony of the Lord. I am simple. I am a simple person who can't comprehend the celestial bodies, but I see the sun. And now, even in my simplicity, I am then given a surety that I am able to then actually be wise and understand that testimony. Furthermore, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Like I, who do you know what the word precepts means? <laughs> you probably do, but but it's still not a word that we use. We don't throw it out there all the time. I don't throw it out there and work and say like, um, these are my precepts for this work that I'm doing today. No, the precepts of the Lord are right, and so they're not wrong. They're not opposite of good, or they are. Yeah, they are good. They're not opposite of good, and I can take heart and say those are right, and I can be joyful in it, even if I don't understand it fully. That same kind of concept is carried out through the commandments and the fear that there is 
there's purity and there's endurance and there are truth that comes from all this. And so like the, the cosmic bodies that have been set in motion from the very beginning and whose ways are governed by some celestial dance that God orchestrated at the beginning of time that do have equations and math that follow it. They are true, but I only understand them so much because I have the sun to look at first. And so, yes, the judgments of the Lord are true, but I only really know that they're true, or I only feel them in a way that is saving because I know the way and the truth and the life that is Jesus. And in all of that, now I see what righteousness is, is that the righteousness is like the sun, that it is from the beginning to the end, that it rises in the morning and sets in the evening, and that it gives light and heat and warmth and joy to the body that surrounds it, which is the earth. And so although I may not fully comprehend or understand judgments and precepts and commandments and all those things, I'm given a picture in the same way that the sun reflects that of the heavens. I'm given a picture that is truth that I can grasp onto and I can hold and I can realize, even as a child realizes, that if I didn't have this thing, the sun, I would surely die. Yeah. I, and and I think that what we see is is this perpetual zooming in from David observing the cosmos at night and and recognizing that they're singing a song of worship to the Lord and then rising up in the morning and seeing the sun and realizing the sun is even telling me about the cosmos and it's telling me more about the Lord and, and it allows him to see, okay, well, if there's meaning even in the cosmos, then I can surely trust the revealed truth of God that he's given me in his law and in his testimonies and in his precepts, and I can know that they're good, and they're good for me, um, because the stars are good and good for me, and so why wouldn't the obvious revealed word of God be good and good for me? And so then we see David getting to this place where he starts drawing personal implications, and if this is a song for the congregation, where the congregation is drawing personal implications, where it says, okay, like if the stars are telling me of God's glory and the sun is showing it to me even more and God's word is revealing it to me, then I should take it seriously. Like it says, you know, moreover by them, meaning the commandments of God is your servant warned and keeping them is their great reward. Like he, I feel like David starts seeing God's beauty in, in things in such a way that it's compelling him to action. Like, okay, you're so beautiful that, that now it would be joy for me to obey you. And, and, and the commandments you've given me are more precious than the common things of gold. Um, they are, they're more desirable than that. They're sweeter than honey. Um, and, and so then we get to for, verse 14 where it ends, which seems kind of like a standalone verse where we've seen this zooming in from big things to smaller things to a posture of the heart. And, and then do you want to just read verse 14 for us? Sure. So verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
you you want to just very briefly because we're running low on time. You want to very briefly just tell me why do you think that's where David landed? Yeah, I think that in the face of such grandeur and such mind blowing revelation, these big grand themes. Um, again, how can a God be both far off and near at the same time? Or how can a voice not be heard? How can how can I look at the stars and the moon and all these things and, and have any sort of response other than falling on my knees? And I think that that is what David's response is, is that our only response is one of confession and request for protection against those lesser things. Like we've been given a taste of the heaven and of the infinite and of the vastness and the grandeur and the glory of God. And so our appropriate posture is when viewing something so much bigger than ourselves, a posture that is on our knees begging and pleading that my mind and my heart and my meditations would be on those grand things of God centered on the heart of Christ. It's a petition. It's a petition to look at the higher things. Those set it's like what it talks about in Colossians, like setting your mind on the things things. on the heavenly things. And now look, what are the heavenly things other than the cosmos? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of other things than that, but still, like that is right. that same yeah. imagery and that same theme is present throughout all of Psalm 19. Yeah, I I, I love that as a place to kind of land this thought of of we see this glory in, in the universe and we see this glory in just the concept of who God is, and then it's more clearly revealed to us in the Son. Right, like both in the sun being the star that gives earth heat, but in the sun being the son of God in the person of Jesus. He makes evident the things of God to us that were formerly foreign altogether. Yeah, and that's not even, that's not just our idea, Nick and Cole here. Like that's straight from the Bible. That is Romans ten eighteen, which is, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And then Psalm 19 is quoted, but I ask, have I not heard? Indeed they have for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Like, we perceive the cosmos, and we can understand them in a way that is glorifying to God because that revelation has been made through Jesus Christ. Yeah, and Paul in Romans 10 is talking about evangelism. Exactly. And so David is perceiving the stars as these cosmic evangelists, proclaiming God's glory. And now, as we have perceived the glory of the cosmos, the glory of God's word revealed, and most importantly, the glory of God's Son in Jesus— we finish with the posture of David in verse 14 that says, let my life, let the thoughts that I have and the things that I do and the words that I speak be acceptable in your sight. And, and so it's, I've seen the cosmos and they are participating in this dance where they're always staying on the track that God has given them. They don't deviate from it. Physics will not allow it. That's right. And and at the end, David is essentially saying, let me not deviate from it. Let my voice go out to the ends of the earth, proclaiming your glory and nothing else, because I've perceived how good it is from the cosmos to the smallest things. And, and speaking of those smallest things, it is funny that in a psalm that is wrought with these great grand cosmic ideas, the final phrase is, my rock. <laughs> my redeemer, that of earth, that of flesh, that of the unfamiliar being made familiar, that of the cosmic God being brought near through Jesus who was made flesh. Like that is finally the ultimate zoom in is that we are on this rock that of anything of all the things that we can perceive 
in the heavens and the earth. It is that thing that we can touch and hold and feel and cling to when we need it most. And and so Jesus being the cosmos made flesh, the 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 infinite made finite so that we can perceive and hold and touch. Um, he is our rock and our redeemer. Um, that's right. Yeah, well, I think with that, that's a good place uh, for us to end. But thank you so much for joining us on Psalms for Sojourners. That was my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>